0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca can turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20, Exodus 20. We're continuing on in our series on the Ten Commandments. We're getting to commandment number eight, and the ushers are coming forward right now. They have Bibles. Um, if you would like a Bible, if you don't have one, love for you to follow along. We're going to be looking at a number of, of Scripture verses here this morning. And... Um, and so be great for you to, to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one of these Bibles home with you afterwards. And they also have connection cards, they have pens, if you need any of those. Um, or if you even purchase one of those beautiful harvest journals, you'll be able to be able to take notes along in the message in one of those nice little um, journals that are available for you. This morning, the commandment is short. Short and sweet, well, it's maybe not very sweet, but it is short, and it is this, verse 15 of Exodus 20, thou shalt not steal. Now, I wonder today how many of you, I'm going to ask for a response in in, in just a moment, how many of you have been a victim of theft? You've had something stolen from you, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you had something stolen from you. I am sure that most of us, if not all of us, or maybe you're not even aware of it, that things have been stolen from you in in ways that uh, maybe you're not even nearly um, exactly aware of. Um, Now, um, another true confession, and remember, this is church, and we're going to have communion afterwards. How many of you have ever stolen something from someone? Come on, hands up, come on, come on, exercise, yeah, hands up. Okay good. Some of you um, just next week is lying, and so uh, we'll we'll deal with that next week, okay? Because as you you will even see here that uh, maybe you have stolen things and you're not even aware of things that you have stolen. No, I doubt that probably not anyone here has gone into a bank and said, stick them up, Um, you know, and that sort of thing. That's oftentimes what we think, or we've never broken into someone's house or car, but... um, all of us, probably in some area in our lives, one way or another, have stolen, have taken something that doesn't belong to us. When I was a youth and young adults pastor in Saskatoon, before I was married, my apartment got broken into. One evening, came, came back and found that thieves had gone through the apartment, had taken about $1,500 worth of mainly electronic equipment between myself and my roommate. As well, the thief stole all of my white socks. Believe it or not, all of my white socks were missing. I don't know, maybe shortage of white socks in the Saskatoon area back then. Not exactly sure, but all my white socks were missing. Later on, a number of years later, Charlotte and I were living in the Edmonton area. We were pastoring there just outside Edmonton, and Charlotte had taken our nice little Mazda B2200 uh, truck into work that day, parked it in an LRT parking lot, and came home. It came back at the end of the day. Truck was gone. And it was like, what in the world is going on? She thought it was a trick that I was playing along with one of my brothers on her, but it was no trick. In fact, the truck was gone. Police recovered it a few days later and uh, just determined it was broken into. It was, they were able to start it up and they took it for a nice little joy ride. Took the cheap stereo that was in there as well as some tools and some change out of the glove box. Not very expensive, not too bad. Also, a number of years ago, I had a GPS stolen out of my truck. I was actually thankful that got stolen because, I mean, the crazy thing was just a terrible GPS kept getting me lost. Lost, and it gave me an excuse to have to buy another one, and so you know that one, that thievery was okay, and nothing got really broken or anything for them to get into the vehicle. Um, it was left unlocked, and so I was basically inviting them to take that GPS. I'm sure, um, you know, what someone might might give that excuse. But you know what? When a thief, you know, I mean, when a thief breaks in and and takes something from us, maybe it's a credit card that got stolen, maybe identity in one way or another. Identity theft is becoming a big thing. It leaves it getting a little angry, a little violated. A little upset that they would come into your house or take something from your vehicle, and and it just kind of, you know, I can't believe that they would take my credit card number and go on this shopping spree or whatever it might be, and it leaves you a little upset, a little maybe even fearful, just thinking, are they going to come back? Are they going to come back once I've replaced this? They know what kind of goods I have here. Are they going to come back? And so so it leaves us kind of feeling a little insecure, a little shaken, or else you read about what's going on in Vancouver right now, Vancouver, Toronto, and now they're saying could even start uh, drifting into Kelowna a little bit, this whole real estate shadow property kind of flipping thing that's going on, this scandal, and it's frustrating because it's just driving up the real estate costs so that people can't afford good, hardworking people, it's hard for them to afford real estate in these cities, and, and, and it's just, it's injustice, it's wrong, they shouldn't be doing that sort of thing, I hope they, they catch them and, and, and do something to them, you know, and, and, and we hate it. We don't like thievery. We don't like it when someone steals. And yeah, we kind of like it, don't we? I mean, just think about it. Uh we love movies that kinda are about the con man, you know, who who or or, or the the person in the movie who steals from the rich, gives to the poor, and you know, of course they're a part of that that poor crowd, you know. We like movies like Ocean's 11, and 12, and 13, and we can't wait till 14 to come out. You know, or the Italian job, or fun with Dick and Jane, or catch me with you can, and the list goes on. Actually, one of, one of the men in the church just said he's reading a book right now. Some seniors go in and, and hold up a, a, a bank. You know, I was like, okay, I guess they're not getting enough from pensions, so they're going to start robbing banks. Al, don't get any ideas, please. You know, that wouldn't be a good thing. We need you here. You know, um... You know, but, but Robin Hood, you know, the Prince of Thieves, you know, the, that heroic outlaw who, who would steal from the rich and give to the poor, you know. What's wrong with that? You know, I mean, it's good. It's kind of like, woohoo! you know, like, you know, those rich are finally paying for what they're doing, you know. And we think it's not that big of a deal, perhaps. Or someone once said, found this quote this week, not sure who it was from, to steal a purse is criminal, to steal a fortune is daring, but to steal a crown, now that's a mark of greatness, we have a tendency to see these kind of things, you know, we're upset about, you know, the, the minor, you know, these, these things, but when it's something big, when it's a big organization, when it's the government, when it's something else, you know, like, oh, you're able to, to get around there, you're able to do some thievery, that, that, that's a good thing. And it's so easy, I mean, we can so easily start to justify our actions and think, oh, what's the big deal? A number of years ago on Boxing Day, I would go with some friends and I would line up early like 4, 4.30 in the morning. Sometimes it was like minus 35, minus with a wind chill in the Edmonton area to get into Future Shop. That would open at 6 a.m., join the throngs of people lined up outside of Future Shop to get those deals. And then, you know, as soon as they open the doors, it's like a mad rush to get in there. And so I was buying this electronic equipment and, you know, just, you know, these great deals. And when I got home, I thought, man, did I ever get a good deal? I'm looking at the bill. (gasps) They didn't charge me for one of the items, 70 item, didn't charge me for it. This dates me a little bit. It was an mp3 player. Some of you, if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you about it after the service. And, and it was about this set, you know, and I looked at it and I'm like, was this my lucky day or what? You know, this $70 mp3 player? Did I score? Or did I steal? Was that mine? Or maybe a bag of potatoes at the bottom of shopping cart? Goes through out of ignorance, you forget about it, the cashier doesn't see it. You get to the parking lot, you get at home, and oh, I don't think that cashier saw that. I didn't well, you know what? Isn't that really a big deal? I mean, it's just potatoes and you know, this is a big company, Safeway is a big store or superstore, you know, they're really not gonna miss it, you know, or or how about those tools from work that ends up in our toolbox or the equipment, the office equipment, and those items that just somehow make it into our home office and into our own um, usefulness at home or, um, or else out in the garage or, or it stays in someone else's house because we gift it to them. Or, and we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big company, this kind of thing. You know, they count it in their, in, in, in their you know, loss protection or whatever it is. You know, that just happens. That's, that's not a big deal. Or there's some work that you get done on your vehicle or your house, and there is the price, and then there is the price, the cash price. What about that? It's called under the table, is it not? And, 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 and what does God's word have to say about it? I mean, it's called the underground economy. Why is it under the table? Why is it under the ground? Did you know in Canada, every year at least $42 billion is transacted, they believe, through the underground economy? cash economy, and, and unreported, $42 billion a year goes in in unreported income. And we think, ah, oh, the government, you know what, they're just a bunch of crooks, you know, so I mean, is it a big deal? You know what, we can honestly say our government are good representations of the people, aren't they? Because if they're crooks, so are we, you know, I mean, in, in various ways. And, and, and so, you know, we see this kind of thing, and, and uh, you say, but it's okay, is it? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, everyone's doing it. I think this picture by Norman Rockwell kind of sums up society in so many ways. From here, you just look at a nice little picture, a lady buying a turkey. Both the butcher and the customer on, are, are on either side, eyeing the scale with pleased expressions on their faces. At first glance, it, it, it looks like it's just a regular transaction taking place, but the butcher is pressing down on the scale to increase the registered weight of the turkey, while the woman is pushing up to decrease both are oblivious to each other's deception. I love that picture. It just summarizes so much of where we're at as a society, isn't it? You know, they're ripping me off. I'm going to rip them off. And it goes back and forth. Well, in the ancient, ancient East, in the times here in, in, in the book of Exodus, theft was very common throughout society. And sadly, it, just as it was very common then, it's very common today. And here God is declaring in the Ten Commandments, I want my people to live differently. I want my people to live according to a different standard. I want you to live according to the standard of the character of who God is, and that is honesty. It is of respecting others and, and, and their stuff, even if they have a lot of stuff and may not even miss that stuff. I want my people to live a different life. And so God says very clearly, he says in verse 15, thou shalt not steal. And it's very direct. It's very brief. And he is basically saying here, do not steal anything, nowhere, nothing, ever, don't. Stealing is, just in case you're looking for a definition, so, so we're clear, is taking or having in your possession something that doesn't belong to you. And part of the, the The big reason why we don't do this is that it goes against the very nature of God. God's nature is one of giving and of honesty and of respect. God is a giver. John 3.16, I mean, pretty much anyone, if you're in church for very long or even if you watch football games in the NFL, you'll see John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave, God is a giver. He gave his his son to this earth. In Romans 8.32, you might want to write down this one. Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given us his son, and he wants to give us more. He wants to bless us. Why circumvent the blessing of God to get things when God says, trust me? I will take care of you. Trust me, I will give to you. Trust me, I will provide for you. Trust me, I'll meet your needs. God's word, he promises to meet our needs. He's not going to take care of our greeds, even though sometimes he, he gives us even those. I mean, we're able, we live in a very blessed world or very blessed country where we have so much at our disposal and we can be so thankful But stealing is about basically putting us at the center of the universe, putting our needs above those of others. I'm first, my needs are important, and I'll take it if I need it, I deserve it, I can justify it, it's okay, everyone's doing it. But we see in the early church, we see that when people came to Christ, we see that when they understood the gospel and they understood the magnitude and the beauty of God and His love towards us in sending His Son and they understood the work of the cross, that they became giving people, they became generous, not taking people, but giving. And Paul, in Ephesians 4, 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The taker becomes a giver. The sign of the gospel, the sign that you are a believer in Christ is you're not a taker, but you're a giver. That God has given to us, and so now we want to give back to others. Tim Keller wrote this. He says, you have not stopped being a thief, and he's biblically speaking here, when you have stopped taking, you have not stopped when you... Being a thief when you have stopped taking. You have stopped being a thief when you start giving. It's understanding that God is generous and that we are to be givers. Now, I doubt, certainly hope anyways, that no one here is in the midst of, you know what, coming up with some scheme to to break into someone's home or rob a bank or commit some kind of fraud. I, I really trust, believe that's not going on here. But I want to give to you some ways that we might be tempted to steal, ways that we might be tempted to, be, to become thieves. And, um, and so what are some of those areas we might be tempted to steal? First of all, from our employers. And so we're gonna give you a number of items and then a junk drawer item as well in all of this. But first of all, tools, items, products from the office or whatever it might be that we take and put in our possession. We take it and, and we're not supposed to. Our boss would not approve of it. He would not agree with that. And, um, and so... We can take those kind of items. Would you believe that a 60% of shoplifted items from retail kind of stores um, comes at the hands of employees? you believe that? 60%. I read this week, it was just so timely, I read this news article, came up in a news feed that, that I saw that this couple in the States had been, over the last number of years, had been stealing money from the grocery store where they worked. And uh, to the tune of, it, it's an estimated $175,000 worth of stuff that they, just, just false returns, taking things that didn't belong to them, you know, just, just, just they devised the scheme in this. The poor business owner had to take a loan in order to keep his store going because he couldn't figure out why he kept losing money. And it was just like, what's going on here? These people use that money, a portion of that money, to buy lottery tickets, and they won the lottery, and so they won like a million dollars, and their share was two hundred and fifty thousand. And so, woo! And so, there's this picture of them with their new truck that they purchased and all that. But guess what? They got found out. The thief eventually gets found out, and they got found out. And instead of enjoying this truck and their two hundred and fifty thousand, they're going to be facing some time in prison. You say, oh. You know what, I would never steal from my boss. I mean, that is, I mean, people do it. I mean, they do it all the time. I see them, I hear about it, you know, all this. I would never steal from my boss. But you know what, we may not steal stuff, but we could steal time. You know what, again, we are stealing, we can steal the time that we are being paid to work. Now, generally, we are, you know, kind of the average work day. I mean, sometimes people have weird jobs or different jobs where you don't keep the the normal eight hour workday kind of thing. But generally, we are paid to work eight hours a day, right? You know, and generally they suggest that, you know what, to get eight hours of sleep a day is a good thing. You know, good balance. Work eight hours, sleep eight hours, you know, and and, and that. But sometimes um, people kind of make that the same eight hours. Right? You know, they're basically sleeping at work. They're just taking it easy. It's not that big of a deal. You know, they're just sleeping through through the job. You know, or stealing time through through social media. Just, you know what, boss says, hey, don't want you to be on social media throughout the day, but taking extended lunches or coffees, bending the rules, breaking it that way, taking personal calls, building a personal business while you are working for your boss's business, those kind of things are ways that we can steal from our employers, like, okay, quit already. Okay, let, oh, another thing, estimated average, again, what I found this week is that, that the average employee across the board, you say, I don't do that sort of thing, but the average, because there are those that do more than this, that an average of two hours a day are taken. Um, in this way through the workday. And so if you're being paid for eight hours, the average is people are only working six hours. And in Titus 2 8 to 10, the Bible, I mean, speaks into this. The Bible speaks into these areas of life. And it says, it's, He's speaking to servants and, and, and slaves. And he says, Obey your masters, work for them, and stop stealing from them. Obey them. And why does he say, He goes on to say, So that they can see your witness for Christ, they see that you are different that you live differently, that you function differently at work. So you might say, okay, enough of the employee thing, I I understand, that not supposed to be stealing. What about, we can steal, employers can steal from employees. When employers withhold money and don't pay adequately, it's theft, an agreement has been made, a contract has been signed, and if we don't pay, If we don't follow through, James 5 is very clear on that. Write down James 5, um, starting at verse 4. It says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord takes note of this. He sees when this is taking place, and he says, stop it. Another way that we can, can, can steal, that we can be tempted to be thieves, is insurance companies. I read somewhere this week that 75% of all insurance claims have some part of a fraudulent part to it, that, that there's been some exaggeration that, that at times, hey, this has happened to me, it's time to kind of, you know what, get back a little bit more for myself. I kind of deserve this, so I'll fudge the numbers a little bit, you know. And so 75% of insurance claims have some degree of, of, of fraudulent activity to it. That's crazy. But we do it, and we can do it so easily, not even think much about it. Back to m- when my apartment was stolen, I was listing all the things. My roommate and I went and we listed all of the CDs that were stolen. You know, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant back then, you know, and, and, and Imperials, and, you know, all of these CDs that were stolen, and cassette tapes. still had a few of those, and, you know, just coming out of the cassette t- um, tape mode, you know, sort of thing. And all the other equipment. And one thing that they stole were a set of headphones. Well I went to go replace the headphones and the headphones I had were okay, but at the store that they were at, the salesman talked me into buying a and see, I'm blaming, I'm blaming someone, blaming the salesman, talked me into buying this expensive pair of Sony headphones that I still have to this day. I mean, they're the big over-the-ear things. I mean, this was a long time ago, and they're sweet headphones, and, and, and so, you know, and, and he says, we don't have any like what you listed here, so, so just take these, they were $100 headphones. Back then, that was a lot of money for these headphones. It was like, woohoo! hit the jackpot, got some really nice headphones. A Few weeks later, I'm digging through a drawer, guess what I found? My headphones that weren't stolen. do, 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 do. What do you do? What's the answer? What's the correct answer? When I phoned the insurance agent, she's like, "Really? You're calling about this?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I said, "I like this was wrong. I I I took and and." And she says, well, here's where you can pay the difference. And so I had to pay what was the actual value of that and, and did that. And, and I kind of thought, you know, maybe she let me off the hook, but she didn't. And, but you know what? I, I, it was more right to be honest than, than to enjoy these headphones. I can wear those headphones today on the treadmill or, I mean, on, on the elliptical and, and just like know that, that I paid good money for these things, you know. And, and there's a story behind it, a reminder of, of that kind of thing. What about cheating in school? It was like all of a sudden students start sinking down, you know. When you're stealing the answers, you're stealing. If you're supplying the answers to others, you're accomplice to theft. Cheating steals from the students who have worked hard, who have given it their all. Years ago, I heard of a group of young men studying to go into the ministry in college. They were cheating on exams. Can you imagine these guys studying to go into ministry, and they're cheating on on some of their exams? I mean, really? We'll talk about that a little later on. True confessions will come out. We can be tempted to steal from God. You might say, I I, I would never steal from God. No way, that wouldn't happen. That would be like stealing candy from a kid. Well, a kid shouldn't be eating that candy anyway. No, you shouldn't be stealing candy from a kid. I mean, but we can easily be stealing from God. And you say, well, no way. uh," Malachi 3, 6 to 10. Listen to what it says. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, you're not tithing, you're not giving to me, you're not giving to me what you are to lawfully give to me according to Old Testament law, and he says, test me in this. This is one area where we are to put the Lord to the test, and he says, just see, you give, you give a tithe, I will bless you. Don't give a tithe, you're going you're to experience trouble, you're going to experience, you know what, difficulty in, in your life in this. And in the Old Testament, tithing, giving 10%, that was just the starting part, that was the, the top, that was a mandatory for God's people. And, and, and beyond there, there was other tithes and there was other offerings that would go on from there. But when people would withhold their tithe, it says they were robbing God. They were doing what they ought not to have been doing. And in the New Testament, and today you might say, well, good, I'm glad that tithing isn't that big of a deal. You know, like, I mean, we don't have the clear mandate about giving the 10%. Whew, you know, it's not found, you know, as a requirement. I mean, here at Harvest, we're not saying, you know what, we don't check statements and say, okay, are you giving money to, you know, are you giving your 10%, that sort of thing. But in the New Testament, we see that we are to give. We are to give to God regularly, faithfully, sacrificially. And honestly, if you know Christ, 10% is the starting point. I mean, that, that's kind of the bottom floor part of, of trusting God and, and giving to him. He's given us all things, everything in the world is his. He owns 100% of it, and he's given us 90%. Thank you, God, that's, that's sweet. We are to live on the 90 and go on from there. And, and, and I believe this is even an Old Testament principle, law, command, that even applies today, that God, when we are faithful in giving to God, he is faithful in giving to us. He takes care of us in that way. But the question is, do we really trust God Do we really trust God that he will work, that he will provide for all of our needs? You see, we don't give. We don't give sacrificially. We don't give the tithe. We don't give over and above the tithe because we think, but but how am I going to make it? Trusting God. Instead, we'll rob him. God puts all the money in our hands to be able to share and to give generously and sacrificially. And the more we grow in the gospel, the more generous we ought to become. It's just one of those things. And now I'm going to talk about a junk drawer kind of thing. This is, You know how in every house, you know, admit it, you, 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 in your house you kind of have that junk drawer, you know, like where everything gets thrown in there and every once in a while you go through it? Oh, you're such a neat freak. that Like anyone? Like you have the junk drawer in the garage, in the car, the glove compartment. Yeah, you know, everyone has. Uh, there's a number of junk drawers in our house where all of a sudden then when you're looking through it, you're digging through it. Well, here's kind of a junk drawer kind of thing of just a number of things I'm going to list off that, that ways that we can may be tempted to steal, downloading music illegally, using someone's Netflix account and password, overriding copyrights, custom declarations, borrowed items from a friend or a neighbor, and for one reason or another, we haven't returned them, abusing employee discounts, taking and buying things at our employee discount and selling it for a profit for others, spiritual robbery, what? They thought you talked about tithing. No, this is a different one. Jesus accused the Pharisees of being thieves. They were stealing from widows, pressuring them into giving beyond their means, and Jesus strongly condemned them for this actions. We see that today. We turn on these TV preachers, a lot of them, they're soaking people, like, send in this money and, and they have these false promises. They, they abuse God's word in order to be able to, to pad their own pocketbooks and, 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 and for their gold cufflinks and their jet planes and all of these kind of things. And, and, and we see these kind of things going on. That's spiritual robbery. It's not right. Stealing cable or internet services or... Or staying in the movie theater for a double feature when you just played, uh, paid for a single feature. So so please don't. I mean, after today, it would be really bad if any of you stuck around in this theater after the service to enjoy the 12, whatever, uh, 12 p.m. Uh, version of Captain America that will be playing here. just would not be a good thing. wouldn't it be a good test. Uh, weren't you just in church? Yes, but I decided to stay for the second show that was going on, you know? And no, you didn't even pay at the first, perhaps, you know? So, I mean, come on. Um, you know, these kind of things. Not reporting all our income from tips or bonuses or side income. Passing receipts off as business ex- expenses, but they were used for personal use. Returning an item of like a suit or a dress or something we just needed once for a special occasion, but didn't need anymore, so we returned it. And there, the list could go on. There's plagiarism. There's all kinds of things. I talked to one of the elders in, in Oakville um, this week and told him I was preaching on. He says, you should take someone's sermon and just preach someone else's sermon and then confess that you preached on plagiarism. On you know just and I'm like, no, okay, we won't. He was just joking anyways. He didn't actually tell me to do it. He said, that would be kind of funny, um, but not really. And anyways, um, what happens to a thief when a thief is caught? Well, in the Old Testament, we see in Exodus 22 and Leviticus 6, we see that there were this, this one, the payment, the cost. Remember a lot of these ones, there was very serious penalties, often death, for these violations of the Ten Commandments. This one, it was restitution. It's make it right. Go, go, go make it right. Thief, go make it right. Leviticus 6, it said that the thief was to reap, was to give back whatever they stole or replace whatever they stole, plus 20%, plus go and offer a guilt offering to the Lord. In Exodus 22, it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, then he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. I guess oxen are a little more valuable than sheep. And, and, and so you see, you know, like, I mean, okay, so if you steal and if you sell it or you eat it, you know, like now you're going to have to pay back more. The only time that the death penalty was a requirement for those who are stealing were those who stole or kidnapped another person. God places huge value, high value on human life. He's like, you steal human life, you pay with your life. That was the seriousness there. And we might say, you know, and, and, and we, we see this, and, and we see this kind of repayment process. I mean, at times I wish that they had the same kind of restitution process, that the thief would pay back what they've, they've owed, and then plus 20%, and, and then go make things right with God. I mean, but now we have civil laws, and, and so we have these civil laws that we have today. And so we might start thinking, you know what? Like, okay, so stealing, you know what? We're not going to get caught. You know, it's little things. Is it that big of a deal? But one thing we have to realize is that God sees everything, And the answer to a world that is full of corruption and raging with theft is better laws, isn't it? Just make better laws. That's going to be the answer. That's how we're going to solve this problem. This is how it's going to get better. No. The answer to this problem is regeneration. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. And it starts with us as his children living in honesty in these areas, pursuing this. Let's take a look at what happens when a thief meets Jesus. Turning your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 19. This is a great story. Love this story. Kids learn this story early on and there's a song about it and some of you would even know that song, you know, and it's about the little man, the little man Zacchaeus. And, and so I'm going to read here in Luke 19 because there's nothing more powerful than taking and not just telling you this story, but reading the story in the word of God. Amen. And so here it is, Luke 19, starting at verse 1. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass by. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus? "'Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today.' So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "'Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor.'" And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a man of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, chief tax collector, and tax collectors in these days were scum of society. In fact, in Jewish, in, in Jewish writing, some of the Jewish laws, some of them saw that you could, it was okay to actually lie to violate the ninth command. It was okay to, to, to do this to a tax collector because they were considered not even human. They were considered worse than animals, and so it was A-okay. If you wanted to lie and to fudge on the taxes that you were about to pay, You know, that was okay because they were scum of the earth. And so here we see Zacchaeus looking, wondering about Jesus. Tax collectors in those days would collect taxes for Rome and then they would take a certain percentage, whatever that percentage they wanted, they would take for themselves. They were even given Roman guards to be able to help enforce their tax taking that they were able to take. And so they could extract money from people and they did at will and they would take more than they would need to take As it even says, he was rich. But Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and the wee little man was he, climbed up into that tree, and yet Jesus saw him. And what happened? Jesus pursued him. Jesus pursued the thief. The one that saw, he knew what society thought of him, and he saw Jesus coming to him and pursuing him. And Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over for a little soup. Some soup and buns. Come on, let's go to your house. Let's go. And you think, okay, that's not a big deal. You know, Jesus was hungry and, you know, had a herd of disciples and probably figured, you know, he could feed them. No, in these days, that, that when you went and you broke bread, when you went and ate with someone in their house, that was a sign of deep friendship and commitment. And Jesus it goes to Zacchaeus' house. Not just for a casual meal, but something powerful happened there. And we see Zacchaeus emerging from that time with Jesus, and he's a changed man. And we see that one of the signs of, of repentance is, is that there is the willing to do whatever it takes to make things right. Here we see the heart of Jesus towards a thief. Jesus eats with him, and Zacchaeus's heart is changed. And the thief, once the taker, now is the giver. And he goes beyond what the, what the, the law required him to do. He, he gave half of what he had to the poor. And then he went, and instead of just giving, you know, like a fifth or so, I mean, he went in and he gave four times, fourfold that, the amount to people who he had defrauded. And he's doing it not because Jesus says, okay, Zacchaeus, if you really want to have a relationship with me, if you really want to be in... Here's your penance. Here's what you've got to do. It wasn't about earning his way. He already was accepted by Jesus, and this was the result of that acceptance. This was a result of his faith. The presence of Christ compelled Zacchaeus towards repentance, which led to him making restitution. Could you imagine in the days ahead, like, I mean, this, this would be amazing if, you know, they would have had a little camera, you know, a little, little pocket phone or something like this recording what's going on because here is Zacchaeus with his, with his command of sh- soldiers and, and coming up to a house and he, you know, knocking on the door and they're like, oh no, it's Zacchaeus. Hey, you were just here like three months ago. Why are you here again, scum? You know, and, and, and he says, no, here, I've taken from you and here's four times what I took from you. My records show this is what I took. Here's four times. I'm sorry jaw drop, what is going on? Zacchaeus, what happened to you? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He changed me. He's changing me. And, and, and now I was a taker and now I just want to give. After all what he's done, and Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet, but Jesus came to him and accepted him and loved him. And Jesus does that for us All who call on the name of the Lord. Jesus is pursuing everyone. But are we listening? Are we watching? Are we receiving from him? You see, real, true repentance leads to godly grief, which leads to action. It's Jesus who looks at the face of the prostitute. And he looks at her and he says, we're not doing this anymore. He looks to the one who is sexually immoral and he says, "Go, you're forgiven, but... Well, we're going to change. We're not going to keep doing this. He eats with the tax collector. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, you don't need to do this anymore. I've given to you. Be a giver. Money no longer had a hold on him. And when a thief meets Jesus, he is willing to do whatever it would take to make it right. The same today. That college student I was talking about, those college students cheating on exams. If you haven't guessed it already, it was me. And it was a number of years later, I justified it, one way or another, just didn't think it was that big of a deal. There was a bunch of us doing it and, but it was a number of years later, I was already a youth and young adult pastor and, and God was really working in my life and, and this was probably three years after graduation And God so deeply convicted me that I needed to make it right. I asked Him to forgive me, and I know that He forgave me of it, but now it was time to make restitution to make it right. And for some reason, in in that occasion, God was like, I'm not going to let go of this. And I believe that at that point in my life, in my early 20s, I came to a crossroad of either saying yes to God or saying no and just saying, I'll keep faking it. I'll just go through the motions. I can do that. We learned how to do that in college at times. Come on, we can do this. I, I stole then, I can, I can fake it now. And there was this, this threshold that, that the Lord was pursuing me about, and it was like, am I willing to do it? And I remember wrestling with God on this, and I was miserable, and I couldn't, and, and just the Spirit of God was heavy for a number of days. I didn't respond right away. I put it off. I'm like, no, no, no. Like and, and the fear that set in. I may lose my job. I may have to go back to the to the college and repent in front of all the students. Maybe they'll take away my degree. Maybe they'll make me write that class again. Maybe, you know, and all of these different things were going through my mind and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've got a job. I've got a reputation. I've got all of this. There's 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 the family name, there's there there's the church name, there's all of this, you know, and 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 you know, it would just be terrible. But finally came to the point, I want to be so right with God. It didn't matter. It's just like, okay, I've got to make this right. i got to do this. I don't care what happens. If I lose my job, lose my degree, lose my credentials, whatever, if I'm put under some kind of discipline and even have to stand up in front of a, various people and share this story, I'm willing to do it. So I phoned the president of the college, got hold of him, and I confessed what I did. And that silence of probably two or three seconds felt like it was a lot longer. After I spilled, spilled the story... gulped and he kind of said, Meldon, truth be known, he says, when I was your age, I had to make a similar call. And he said, it's so good to see God at work in your life. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. I walked out of that room after hanging up the phone and it was like, I've got the power! Yes! Yes! There was this, this joy, this freedom. I was a little about sharing this story you know like okay your pastor's a a, a cheat you know and now I share the story with you folks you know and you know what when God is truly at work in the child of God you will do whatever it takes to make things right with God and with others it really is the woman who stole a bag of potatoes was like my mother many years ago she's here today even so you have two felons here with you here today. 99-cent bag of potatoes, so you know how long ago that was. And she made an appointment with the manager of the grocery store and went to go see him and confessed that she wasn't charged for this 99-cent 90 cent bag of potatoes. This man was not a believer, but he was kind of stunned by this conversation as she paid back the money and told him. And he says, something must be going on in this city, because you're not the first person who's come back to do this. And she said, yes, there is. There's a movement of God happening within the churches. When revival was sweeping in Western Canada, people were ready and willing. Hundreds of churches and thousands of lives were being affected. And as she spoke to the manager, he was, he was shaken by it. Years later, my parents ran into him and he had come to know the Lord. I don't know if it was because of the 99 cent bag of potatoes, but I'm sure that also stuck very profoundly in his mind. A house builder in Saskatoon this was in the 70s remember this he took a loan for five thousand dollars to repay customers because he had put inferior inferior quality materials into the home and charged them for the better materials and he says I need to make this right he said I knew I could never be right with God until I made those that right with others you see one of the indicators again of have got at work in our lives is that the thief is ready to stop thieving And that we are ready and willing to get right with God and with others no matter what. Relationships restored. Wounds of bitterness get replaced with forgiveness when this takes place. You see, folks, we believe in the word of God. And in the word of God, we read that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. He is everywhere. He's here with us right now. He's with us the criminal in the jail cell right now. He is around where the ISIS is plotting and scheming. They're different. God is everywhere. But another thing that God's word teaches is the manifest presence of God. That we can know his power and his presence and his peace in our lives and in a room like this when believers are ready to do whatever it takes as we confess our sin before God, as we repent and we make it right and we come low before him in humility. We can experience his power, his presence, his peace, his blessing in our lives. And it's available for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It's real, it's powerful, and it's available. Yet we exchange it for lust, adultery, sexual immorality, cheating, stealing, porn. These things lie to us in thinking that they are greater than God, that they are greater than the presence of God, but they're not. Satan steals from us, and he wants to take these things and, and make them ultimate and put God further down. You can't have both. We think we can, but we can't. I must admit, these are tough words this morning. And these are tough words for me to even preach in looking at my own life. You see, there's a temptation to be honest with you, to be blunt honest with you here this morning. I face a temptation every Sunday to exchange the truth of the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, and water down the message. I do, because I'd much rather have you like me. I want people to be happy when they leave church. You know, like Phil Roberts, happy, happy, happy? I want people to, you know, I mean, to be comfortable in, in in church and 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 for my popularity to soar, that that you just walk out of churches feeling so good. But God's word tells us that his goal for us is not happiness, it's not our happiness. It's not happy, happy, happy. It's holiness. And holiness leads not to happiness, holiness leads to joy. And there's a difference. And sin blocks that relationship with God. And so we pursue the things to make us happy, happy, happy because we don't want to go after the holiness. Hebrews 12 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one, without it, no one will see the Lord. As we pursue holiness in our lives, we see Him, we experience His power, His presence, His provision. As well as a wondering world sees what he is doing in us, that we live differently. David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart. It's about being obedient to all that God has asked me to be obedient to, so that we would experience his power and his presence. And so, in order for us to get there, it means that we are people who confess and repent often. Recognize that, that we have fallen short and we're ready to make things right with others and with God. And you can't do it on your own. You need one another. 15 years ago, it hasn't been 15 years ago since I preached like, a message like this, but 15 years ago there was a man who heard a message similar like this. And, and, and he said to me afterwards, he says, "Meldon, he says, there is an issue from my old employer he said, I'm not going to give you the details. It was in church. It was after the service. And, and he says, there, there's an issue. He says, I, I believe I need to make it right. And I said, hey, I'll stand with you, pray with you, go with you, do whatever. You know, like, and, and he says, but it could cost me. He said, I could go to jail for what I did. And I said, this is where we believe that God's power is great and he will lead you, whether it's jail, whether it's not, that what is the price of your freedom? What are you willing to pay to be free? To my knowledge, he never went to go make things right. And you know what? I watched a decline in his life of sadness, of discouragement, of depression that continued on. Acts 3.19, powerful verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you now and we, we know that, that the truth stings. It's hard, but it gives life to the hearers who become doers. Help us as we examine our lives, as we become mindful of things that need to be returned or made right or things we need to stop doing. That your spirit would be rich and powerful in our lives. And we wouldn't just hear this and, oh well. When we do that, we're hardening our hearts. And it's like a callus that continues to get thicker and thicker and harder and harder. And the truth of your word doesn't penetrate and your word, it's powerful. But when we build the callus up in our lives, we can't do it. And God, the only thing that does break that is the power of the gospel remembering what Christ has done. Keeping your heads bowed, we're going to spend some time in prayer, reflection, some worship, we're going to celebrate communion. And just as your heads bowed, just just think about this for a moment. Isn't it fitting that Jesus died between two thieves? They were both guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment, as I'm pretty sure all of us in this room Have done so in our lives at least once one of those thieves went to heaven one went to hell you see it's not the confession of our sin that gives eternal life it's looking to Jesus who died for us in our place putting our trust in him and as we look to Jesus And we see his glory and we see his beauty and his forgiveness and his grace towards us. He enables us to be able to live the life that we can't live on our own. To make restitution, to ask for forgiveness. And his manifest presence goes with us.